Hey friends, I want to let you know about this year's Conversations in the Raw. Conversations in the Raw is a discipleship learning experience that follows the Exiles in Babylon conference. So this year at the conference, we're tackling several topics, including women in leadership, the future of the church, disability in the church, and multi-ethnic perspectives on American Christianity. And so Conversations in the Raw is an online learning cohort that dives deeper into these topics following the conference. You can sign up for one or all of the conversations if you want, and each cohort, they'll meet online for about an hour and a half to engage in honest, curious conversations with a leader and other cohort members. And there's only three meetings, so it's not like an overwhelming commitment. Everyone who goes through conversations will receive a certificate. Um, I know that some of you have jobs that encourage you to get like learning certificates, so you can do that through conversations. Also, Also, this year, we're teaming up with Denver Seminary and Eternity Bible College to offer a four-credit option for Conversations in the Raw. I mean, that's crazy, right? For just 500 bucks, you can get three master's level credits from Denver Seminary or three undergrad credits from Eternity Bible College. You'll have to do extra work, obviously, but I mean, this is a screaming deal to get credit from an innovative learning experience. So go to theologyinthera.com forward slash conversations to learn more about conversations in the raw. That's theologyinthera.com forward slash conversations. Think deeply, love widely through Conversations in the Raw. Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest today is Elijah Drake. Elijah is a student at Asbury Theological Seminary. And so naturally, I wanted to reach out to him and uh, find out what's been going on at Asbury. I'm sure you all have been hearing about the ongoing revival that's been going on. And I wanted to talk to somebody on the ground who's been involved and hear from them what it's been like. So please welcome to the show for the first time, the one and only Elijah Drake. Elijah, thanks so much for uh, taking a break from, I guess, more important things going on at Asbury to tell us um, about what's going on. I, I was there a year ago, so I, I, I distinctly remember being in, like, even before speaking in chapel, people tell me about the revival that happened there in 1970, I think it was. And and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And people were like, man, we're really, you know, would love to see something like that happen again. That was a year ago. So it's been for me looking on, I'm like, wow, this this is really happening again, you know? Um, so anyway, can, why, why don't you take us back to, is, is, I guess, the beginning. How did this thing start? Um, give us some details, you know, on, on the ground, what's been going on for people that maybe have heard about the revival, but um, don't know any, many details about what's going on. Yeah, right now I'm going back in my calendar to figure out what day in February this started again. It was February 8th. What's helpful to know is that, like, like you mentioned, revival is kind of woven into the fabric of Asbury University. The 1970 revival that went on for like 111 hours, don't quote me on that, but it went on for days and people were sent out from the revival and like it started different outpourings on different universities. My undergrad, Spring Arbor University, has the story from 1971, I think, where they had some Asbury seminary students come visit and share their testimony. And it led to a whole outpouring and revival there. And so it ended up affecting like hundreds of thousands of people throughout the world. And as a result has definitely been like just built into this like expectancy that happens. Um, People desire this like movement of the spirit and like, there's always a possibility that something like this could happen. And it really created the, uh, 
the perfect space for it. Like people who remembered that past revival had testimonies about how it had changed their life. And then students who had, you know, heard about it throughout their entire time at Asbury. But even still, what is beautiful about it to me is even with that, like built in the fabric of the school is how unengineered this yeah. entire thing was, I think a lot of people are skeptical of it. And I was too on the very first day, February 8th. They have chapel on, I think, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the university does at 10 a.m. And they, on Wednesday, had a pastor in the like local area, whatever, Zach, and he was preaching. And he had said to other people after the fact and even had like called his wife apparently and said like my sermon was not great I didn't even get to the points that I wanted to it was a very like mediocre I don't know if he had spoken at Asbury University before but he had not felt great about it but after he had preached the gospel choir had um started up and they'd been worshiping and chapel like ended like it usually does at whatever time it ends, but a bunch of students kind of stuck around and continued to worship. And then they were spending time in like prayer with each other. And it kind of just like rippled through the campus. People were hearing like, hey, chapel didn't end. There are still students there worshiping and praying with each other. And so more students from around campus came back. And it was just this moment of like people like jumping back into this like participation and worship with each other and really like um, reconciling with each other and like people were like getting, uh, you know, in tears and repenting to God. And there was just this moment of like people really like being nudged by the spirit into greater relationship with him and others. And we started getting like text messages about it. And we were getting like people telling us like, Hey, chapel did not end at the university. And I like, I didn't know what to think about it because revival has been like a word that's kind of just like passed around at Asbury and people think about it a lot. And so I didn't do anything about it initially. And I decided to go at night because I'm like, if this is like a thing, if something's actually happening, then it'll probably be still happening tonight. So I showed up at 10 PM on the first night and I walk in this room and it's just like, there's this like thickness to what's going on. There are like, I tell people it was like anarchic in the best way possible. There were like students just like all over the chapel in many different like spaces and nooks and crannies praying over each other. There were like the worship team had ended at like 930 p.m. And so there were just random students on the instruments playing music and leading worship. And there were people just in like different clusters everywhere. Um, there were a lot of tears. And I stayed until 2 a.m. that first night. And by the time I left, like students were dragging in mattresses so they could stay the entire night there. Worship was still going. People were still praying. And I didn't know what was going to happen. Kind of been alumni, had been like posting about it, like, hey, something interesting is happening at Asbury. So by the next day, not only were the university students and the seminary students like still in worship together, but all of a sudden people around the local town of Wilmore started showing up. And then the local area of Lexington started showing up. And then all of a sudden, like people throughout like the Wesleyan Holiness Methodist world started like showing up from the region and area. And um, I would say that in the first few days, it was just a... I don't know, an ambient atmosphere of resting in God's presence. It was students, like not only like participating, but like leading each other in worship to God and in better relationship with each other. 
And especially like in the middle, like the dead of night, one night, I think it was that Friday, I was there till 3.40 a.m. And there was just like this like uh, beautiful presence of like God in there and like a beautiful presence of like each other, like actively seeking each other out to pray for each other. And um, even like that first night on Wednesday, I um, was reconciled with another seminary student that I hadn't talked to for like two years since the first semester that I got there because I had been kind of um, hurt by something he had said. We had not like been reconciled with each other, but I got into the room and I had like been looking at my journaling app and like, does God want to say something to me in this moment? And I had read an old journal entry from two years previously on that day where I had mentioned that conflict and how I had never cleared the air. And all of a sudden I looked up from my phone and there that person was 20 feet in front of me making eye contact with me. And so um, <laughs> I feel like so many people have these stories of like God did a new work or like a new nudging in their life towards different responses to his word that they might not have just done in their day-to-day life. And that like theme of reconciliation hung over me, but like this repentance hung over others. And I think that has been like a major element of the outpouring. Uh, And then after that, like the weekend hit and I was wondering a little, maybe with some dry humor, like is an American football game going to end this revival because (laughs) Super Bowl is happening? That was was online. Like this is genuine if it keeps going. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it did not. In fact, I, these, I'm not a big football person. So I showed up during the Super Bowl to see if anyone was there. And like, it was a packed house. And, (laughs) and I was just like shook because like really like, people at that point like had clearly like abandoned their plans and decided to come into this space and worship God um, over everything that was happening. And that's when I think I knew like, this is, there's a stickiness to this. There's a, uh, there's a beauty to this. Uh, we None of us knew what word to use. It was a big argument on the seminary campus at first. It was like, what do you, like people keep saying revival, but revival has all of these you know, expectations or it's laden with these like pieces and parts to it. Like since 2016, revival has often meant like had like a political edge to it because you've had different like revival protests from different people. Um, And since this didn't have that political edge and wasn't really engaged in that kind of like culture war, like I remember someone messaged me. He's like, yeah, he's a pastor. And he said, my congregants were like, is this like revival in response to that like demonic unholy performance at the Grammys the other night? Um, which is like a really funny thing to like see where people's priorities or thoughts were. But uh, I can assure you the students were not thinking of that when they like fell into worship. It wasn't like a response to any sort of like controversy that had arisen, but was merely this like this commitment to like stepping into worship with God. And then the spirit used that to draw people in from all over the place. Now it's around the world, but it, you know, was around the country and uh, people started showing up from every space. And there was this like sense that like, because we had to like go into all in after like the first week we were like at night, especially overflowing to this auditorium, all over our seminary camp, people who kind of showed up and were like, 
I want the real thing. Like, I think God's presence is like, it was like this idea of like, is God's presence outside of Hughes Auditorium? Is it across the street? And first few days, I think there were some people who showed up that really didn't want to be anywhere else. But by the end of it, I was seeing like, no matter what little satellite chapel we had on campus or off campus that was like participating, people would walk through the threshold and just immediately stumble into tears. I had a person message me that like he hadn't prayed for three years, um, the gay man, and he like waited for hours in line to get to Hughes. And he said, by the time I got in there, like, I, I mean, I only had like a 20 minutes, something like that to like be there before I had to leave. But he walked in and he said, immediately, I just crumbled into tears and God started to heal all of the pain and the hurt and the, 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 the experience that had like just barred me from relationship with God. And he said, he prayed for the first time in three years and it was beautiful. And I think that is a common refrain. You know, some people are like, well, why can't God work elsewhere? But I, in this moment, God is doing a work here and people are just trying to touch the hem of Jesus's robe. And so they're walking and stepping out in faith. And that has been beautiful. Thank you for all of that. Yeah. So, I mean, I was raised in, in a very non-anti-canon charismatic background, not that more, but like, yeah, things like revivals, it's always like, oh, well, is that, do we have that anymore? You know, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. for somebody who is a, how about, how would I describe it? Like, like a good faith skeptic, not, not the stuff you see online, but like somebody's like, well, what do you mean revival? And like, yeah, isn't God like, what, what's so unique about this physical geographical location? Isn't God everywhere? Like what, how, how would you describe, well, first of all, like, yeah, what is revival and what is it about the the physical location where this is happening that makes it a unique divine experience for, for lack of better terms? Yeah. I mean, these revival moments um arise out of like a community in proximity and in like embodied relationship with each other like responding to god's presence and to like who god is and so the emphasis of this moment has been really like a renewal within like wilmore and has been like people really like been uh you know i also like have to like tell people that this is um this is like a methodist holiness like historically like and there have been more than one pentecostal that showed up and was not very happy with what they were seeing because they were like in one of the like first nights even like some a man from miami and i like got to talking in Hughes auditorium and he like went on like a little preaching rant to me and he was like they need to not quench the spirit they need to not like try to like structure it or like stop things from happening or whatever um because he was used to like just like the absolute ultimate like freedom to do anything at any time and go to any place but at some point during the um shift as more and more outsiders started to visit we got a little more careful about who was praying up front and who was sharing testimonies and who was speaking um which it might be structured that makes some people like this was stewarding the the place and like the the opportunity that God had given in a way that would not allow people to like come in with their own agendas and like take over with their own um 
desires or like preconceptions or whatever. So this r- revival is not that this can't happen elsewhere. And actually, like, if you've been paying attention to the um, messaging from the institutions, we are very much pushing towards the the sending portion of this. We are going to be like sending people back into their places to share their testimonies and like create um, this like uh, response to God in other places where people like maybe will have their hearts cracked open in ways that they hadn't before. Um, And even like there's some other universities and churches that have had like response responsive um, worship services and um, uh, different moments like that. And it's even, again, like the difference between like maybe a Pentecostal revival would say like, yeah, we'll go for another 200 days as long as people are still showing up. We kind of said there comes a point where, I mean, not only are like, you know, we've had like, I would estimate like over 80,000, probably more people like come through the town of 6,000, Wilmore's of 6,000. Oh, um, and there comes a point where like resources, not only are they stretched, but there's a, a moment where we need to galvanizing people towards like a more like a responsive um, activity, not just trying to seek like a uh, mountaintop experience here, but continuing forward elsewhere. Uh, revival doesn't mean like it doesn't mean just like emotional high i mean some people were like are people even repenting i would i would say like it was all students of the seminary and university so it would be kind of strange for those people who like largely consider themselves christian to be like repenting i mean like coming to christ left and right but as more and more visitors showed up we actually did take like an evangelistic tone to like provide space for people to either return to christ or find him for the first time and people were like responding to it so there's like repentance and renewal piece to it um there's this like people are not leaving the same as they came um and there's like a great beauty in like this ecumenical unification of believers from all over the place and something that does not usually happen i mean there have been catholic priests Baptist pastors, Methodist reverends, my my free meth. I'm from the free Methodist denomination. <laughs> my free Methodist bishops came and they were worshiping along Baptist pastors who are next to, you know, like Anabaptist house church people who are next to um, very charismatic uh, non-denominationals. And so like you have like this moment where believers of every stripe nationality responding to God at the same time and praying for each other in the same moment. And that is beautiful. Uh, it crosses a lot of boundaries. It it can be uncomfortable, but it's beautiful. Yeah. That, I mean, that, what, what I heard and what you confirmed that it wasn't kind of some top down, heavy handed revivalist preacher that came in and was really emotional and they kept playing, you know, it didn't seem to be top down, stirred up, just like playing on people's emotions it was very much like i keep hearing like the sermon was kind of like a mediocre like it wasn't like there was there was nothing that was like playing on people's emotions it did kind of be it seems like more of a groundswell would that be an accurate yeah beginning yeah. with student-led yeah repentance and um renewal um renewed commitments to christ and and yeah i mean the, the i've experienced kind of I, i've been in involved with three, three uh, the Methodist church quite a bit also been in charismatic churches and there is a different flavor 
Um, and I don't know how to describe it, but like when you say like this kind of revival might feel different than if you're at like Bethel Church in California or something like I don't, I can't put my finger on what the difference is, but I've been in both kind of contexts and know like, yeah, the the free the flavor of the of the more Methodist Wesleyan holiness kind of um, whatever whatever kind of charismatic brand you you all have is just it's, it feels different. And I don't want to say it even categorizes better, or worse, whatever, just it's just a different flavor for sure. Um, what are people, when you people repenting, is there, is there kind of a common theme of repent? Like, what are people repenting from? I mean, all the way from like personal sins to, I don't know, like what, or is it just kind of all of that, whatever they need to repent from? For sure. So I want to add to your previous comment and then answer the question on repentance, um, about like manipulation of people's emotions. Cause I think this is on people's mind a lot, but what I have been encouraged by our institution is like how it hasn't put forth like a lot of the things that like manipulate people into like a more excited or emotional or like responsive way. Like, so there've been multiple celebrities, uh, celebrities in the Christian world, to be fair. Um, but multiple celebrities in the Christian world who have all come and none of them have been given a microphone. None of them have been allowed on stage. None of them have been on the prayer team. Um, none of them have been preaching. And so you have all of these people like who are so used to maybe being at the center of attention and they are just participants. One worship pastor like called and was like, one famous like worship leader called and was like, Hey, like, what can I do for the revival? And, uh, my professor, Dr. Powers said, um, we would love for you to come and participate, but we've got worship covered. And so instead of having these like famous worship leaders lead worship, we were having the students every single day leading worship all day, uh, the students from our space. And that has been beautiful. It's also, you know, Hughes Auditorium is like, it's not fog lights. It's not concert style. It's just definitely like not emotive. And so that's been beautiful too, to see that like, hey, like this is both honest and authentic and, and vulnerable. And when it comes to the the repentance, I've so I've been on the prayer team and on hand, like I've seen like people like confess sin and like, you know, pursue like personal piety. And on other hand, like we've had a pastor like speak um up like about like racism and like what it looks like to better love our neighbors. Um, because we're holiness Wesleyan, we have talked about God's holy love a lot. And we've talked about how God can sanctify us as we, you know, give up all of ourself and surrender ourselves to him. People are coming from different spaces, but what I'm hoping and what I think is that there's like a big return to love of neighbor and of like humanity in people because there aren't maybe these like culture war elements to it. There's like a, there's a desire to like demonstrate kindness and maybe a way you wouldn't see in other places. I think sometimes revival has meant like we are hardening our heart against the enemy of God and we are going to conquer the culture. But instead, this has been about like we are softening our heart to the spirit and we're learning to best surrender ourselves to God. That's a good point. Yeah. And again, looking on from a distance at other kind of revivalish type movements or attempted movements, they they now that you say that, it does seem to be there. There can be a culture war element. You know, America's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. We need to stand against, you know, the liberalism of this country or whatever. And like, there, there seems to be that kind of 
combative kind of element to it. Um, but I, from what I know, again, with the, with the denominations represented at the Asbury, it's not the spirit of just that, that brand of Christianity. So that doesn't surprise me. It's taken on that. It, well, I, a couple of practical questions. So it, it, it literally is going all night. Like are people going to sleep or are they staying out? Are they kind of coming shifts and, and our class is still going on. That was my, as a, as a former professor, I'm like, I still going to class. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So for the class thing, I think a rumor was spread around that like classes were not happening, but actually classes, unless you're talking about like that, maybe that first day and maybe the second day on the university campus, like there was like some hold on classes and people were leaving from their classes to go over to the chapel. But in general, the class schedule has still continued around the clock. Um, although I will say there have been plenty of revival extensions meted out to students. Uh, I have asked for a couple of those myself. Um, <laughs> and so that's definitely happened. The The university and seminary kind of like are trying to spin it that like, hey, like we're still keeping our schedule because we want to allow this like revival to steep into our lives, this outpouring to like steep into our lives so that we're able to like you know, we're responding to God and we're doing it in our regular lives too. So that's continued. Um, so classes have continued student, but even then, like, we're probably like losing a lot of sleep because up until Monday or this past weekend, um, the outpouring was going 24 seven, like completely the entire night. And so you could be there the entire night. It wasn't until this past weekend that they started closing it at 1am or 2am. And what's interesting is that we've actually had students leading worship from like two to 6am before they opened the doors so that like the worship would not stop, even though there was no audience and no one was in the room, but that like, it would be like continued. But at the same time, they hadn't cleaned the Hughes chapel and like well over a week in the beginning yes it was going all night and you would see like um backpackers would like take naps in the corners of the various chapels at different times but um more recently they have been stopping at night and this past week as they've kind of winded down um what's been happening they've been having moments where only people 25 and under could be in hues because there was this moment when just thousands and thousands of people were pulling um pulling into Wilmore uh the students who you know this was uh they were there from the beginning were not even like didn't have space in their own chapel to go in and so they started creating that space for them and then uh there is time for like everyone to be there but i think tomorrow well this is thursday february 23 right now but um tomorrow on friday they will have like they will be sending this revival out to a new place that's outside of Wilmore, uh, which may probably like wind it down completely, but that will allow us to kind of like get into like the responsive phase, especially for our community. Like how do we respond to this? Think about it. Um, let it like steep us without being completely exhausted. I mean, like just Sunday night, I was on the prayer team from 10 PM to 2 a.m. I was there and, you know, I was just like exhausted. I was, it was a beautiful time, uh, but it was definitely like 
as students, like as more and more people showed up, students became less participants and more facilitators. You know, I was late to class one day because I had to like 15 minutes late because I had to direct some people to parking. I had to lead some people to the bathroom. A couple asked me like what my testimony is in the middle of campus. And so I had all these moments where I'm like dodging people left and right who are wandering my campus as I'm trying to make it to class because they're like, uh, for good reason, excited to be here. And every time I found myself getting callous of the visitors and frustrated that they were taking all my parking the second i step into one of the um the, the rooms that all of this is happening in and i'm seeing people's lives change like it melted my heart back down you know this episode is sponsored by camp rockmont Camp Rockmont is an interdenominational Christian summer camp for boys ages 7 to 17 located just outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. Camp Rockmont provides age progressive opportunities for your son to challenge himself, make lifelong friends and grow as an individual. Whether it's learning how to guide a kayak down a river or how to plant and harvest food at their on-site organic farm or just navigating life and community, there are exceptional counselors who guide your son every step of the way. Over 90% of parents report that their sons grew in self-confidence and independence even after a single session at Rockmont. Now, I know some parents might be skeptical of camps like this because they might have sons who are a bit more atypical. Um, and I actually emailed the camp director about this and he responded with a very long and detailed email uh, telling me how they care for and walk with boys who might not be like super athletic or in things that most boys are. And honestly, I was so impressed with the spirit of leadership at this camp. So Camp Rockmont offers two three and four week sessions that, that are designed to make your son thrive to receive $300 off any session and learn more about Rockmont visit rockmont.com forward slash Theo T-H-E-O that's rockmont.com forward slash Theo and all the info is in the show notes this episode is sponsored by Biola University's Talbot School of Theology. Okay, so I get asked a lot about which seminaries do I recommend. And my response is always the same. I say, well, it kind of depends on what you're looking for. But no matter what, Talbot is always one of my top recommended schools, partly because I feel like I know like half the professors there. So I, I know who you're going to be studying under. But I've also spoken on campus um, a couple of years ago and just had an amazing time with the students and other faculty and staff. I've had um, several of the professors on my podcast. And here's what I I love most about Talbot. They do a fantastic job combining rigorous scholarship that's saturated with a deep love for the church, and it's all integrated with a pervasive emphasis on spiritual formation in the lives and hearts of the students. The professors are super down to earth, they're involved in their churches, and yet they're also able to write like high-powered academic books. So if you're looking to deepen your understanding of scripture or just be more equipped to serve your family or church or the world around you, Talbot offers many different courses and degree programs, and they've done a fantastic job with their online program. You can come study online with people literally from around the world. Uh, you can attend uh, online classes live or you can watch pre-recorded uh, courses by some amazing professors. So if you've been thinking about going to seminary, I would highly encourage you to check out biola.edu forward slash Talbot. That's biola.edu forward slash Talbot. You mentioned earlier, like people were, it may be last week in the, in the real height of it, like people were lining up because they couldn't all fit in the chapel. So they're waiting in line and were they like rotating people at like, you can come in for a half hour and then please make space for somebody else. Or how did they facilitate that to get like, they didn't have a timeline on whether or not you, um, 
had to stay for a certain amount of time. There was a moment they had lots of like what they called like kind of like disengagement moments where like it would be like 6 p.m. or like 10 p.m. where they would like everything would just kind of stop for a minute and they'd be like, thank you so much for being here. It would just be kind of like a transition and like people didn't have to leave, but it was like a transition moment where there was nothing particular happening at the time. And at that point, I feel like a lot of people would leave and more people would come in. But we kept, I mean, like telling people like we had, um, there was a UMC vineyard. So there's a UMC building. So a UMC and a vineyard church share a building on our corner. And we also have Estes Chapel. We have McKenna Chapel. We had the Cohen building. We had our gymnasium. Um, there was a Baptist church that opened up its doors. There was a Christian church. The denomination is actually just like Christian church um, on the corner that like opened up its doors. And then we had Hughes Auditorium. So we had lots of different spaces for people to worship. Some people, and I get it, like you flew or drove hours and hours and hours and you wanted to be like a part of kind of like this central piece. And so a lot of people would wait in line for a long time to like settle into it. But there was no like specific like direction on like how long people had to be in a space. Some people were there for 15 minutes, like I mentioned, but I know some people at different days were there for like, eight hours in Hughes Auditorium, uh, soaking it in. What's it done for you personally? I mean, you said, you know, you had, you reconciled with somebody you were um, at, at odds with and, and um, yeah, what, what are you taking away from this person? Like, what, what do you hope for the future, your future, at least near future uh, walk with Christ? Yeah, I have, feel like I have to give you like the very short end thing because I was just, again, my pre-Methodist bishops came and I got to get practice with them. Uh, and that was really good. And I shared them like my testimony in response to this, but not enough time here, probably. However, there I'll share one story and like two things. So I mentioned that I'd been reconciled with someone. I was also, as a result, reconciled with a friend that I had not, that I had was not a friend <laughs> that I like had been in conflict with since my senior year of college. I'm in my third year of seminary right now. And it was something that I did not expect to ever happen. And the spirit threw upon my lap. I faced, I like group FaceTimed at one point as I was leaving Hughes Auditorium, my um, my college friend group, which has like 11 people in it. And uh, this person I was in conflict with, like never like was like the one to answer, but no one answered except for him. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit said, and you will apologize and he will, and you'll reconcile and pray with each other. And so that was beautiful. But one of the stories that stands out to me the most, um, and for clarification, I'm a celibate gay Christian. So I like am on this campus. I affirm the traditional sexual ethic, but I'm definitely out. Like people know that I'm gay and like, I really care about the lives of LGBTQ people. And that's something that like my heart is really like broken over a lot of the time. And so one of the first nights, maybe it was Friday night of the first week, there was a prayer, maybe it was Thursday night, there's a prayer board. And I had written on the prayer board, there's tons of prayer requests, but I'd written specifically like that um, the queer people on the seminary and university campus would have their sacred worth and dignity made known to them. A simple prayer, but like a desire that people would like see that they were loved and maybe that would be like something that would be a turning point in their life and relationship with God. I came back the next night and I approached with some 
trepidation, the, the prayer board. And sure enough, someone had out of every single prayer request erased mine. And it was very intentional because they had erased just like the middle of it. So you couldn't really make it out anymore, but I could tell that it was mine right there. Um, which was like so troubling in my spirit and really hurt. And I didn't know what to do about it. So I like sat down at the, um, the, near the altar. And I was like, not sure what to ask God or talk to God about. I just like, was like, why does this happen? You know, like I get into this space and I like seek this worship and then like, you know, you kind of get spit back at you. Um, there was a woman like sobbing in front of me at the altar and I was like, okay, God, I'll focus on her needs. So I went and prayed for her and we had a conversation. It was a beautiful thing, but this random man sat down in the front row while I was praying with her. And he was like, Hey, how can I pray for you? which no one had asked me yet in the last few days. So I was like very uncertain how to like approach that. And also, as you know, having these conversations, the sexuality conversation is very complicated and not everyone gets it. And like, it's just not something that like I bring up, you know, to strangers all the time. So I didn't, I, I got to pray with her. I sat next to him and I didn't really bring that up to him. I just talked about my experiences at seminary and how like, I felt like my spirituality had been kind of deadened in this um, space in some ways, or like I was like kind of struggling through like a spiritual desert a little bit, which is true. And we were just like talking about, and he had been to seminary previously, but he wasn't a seminarian. He was a, he had driven like hours away. And this is at like 1 a.m. at this point, he had like driven at like 10 p.m. Uh, and driven to Hughes to be there. And he affirmed like my relationship with God and was like, God, like I mentioned to him that like, I don't know how God's using me or like what I even have to offer the church. And he like just said some things that spoke edification into my soul. And he just seemed like a safe person. So I mentioned to him that the prayer request had been removed and how it had kind of felt emblematic of the way that, you know, sexual and gender minorities have their stories erased in the church. Cause as like a controversial topic, as a person, no one from stage is going to mention me or mention my story because it's just complicated. Uh, and that hurts. And it hurts to have your prayer request erased and it hurts to like kind of be pushed to the edge, uh, in the corners. And he was really moved by this. We prayed with each other. He prayed over me. I was thankful for his kindness. And I went back to go sit with a friend who um, is gay and like experienced a ton of church hurt. And I sat down next to him and he said, Elijah, I hate the church so much and I don't know how to not hate the church. And I did not have an answer to that. That is a very difficult <laughs> question. So we sat and like cried next to each other. Um, but then this pastor who again, like was a Methodist pastor, he like walked back up to me on like the, on the side aisle and came up to me and just like whispered into my ear. And he said, your prayer request is back on the board. And in that moment, I realized that not only had he listened to me, but he had like listened to me and he responded by going up to that prayer board and making sure that my request was there, that queer students would be cared for. And that was just like the dam broke. I was sobbing. And I, I said to my friend, I was like, I think 
that's what the church is. The church is it's so broken, but through those cracks, like God's light is going to shine through sometimes. And there's going to be a lot of times where people don't notice you and don't see you, but there's going to be moments when he does, when people do see you and God does see you. And that beauty is the church. And that's what I want to love. And so in that moment, that pastor was just kind of the the embrace of God to us. And it was, you know, some random married straight man had heard, you know, my woe and had not just heard it, but listened and responded through the spirit and really just encouraged me. And that is what the space has brought. It has brought people who are seeking compassion. Um, and that has affected my life. And I think I will hold that moment in like a little drawer. So whenever I'm doubting and whenever I'm sad, I can pull it out and be like, no, God chose to meet me in that moment and he will choose to meet me again. Man, that's a beautiful story. And that being in spaces often kind of as that straight married pastor, it's complicated. And, you know, I think about, like why why would someone erase that? Like that actually does make me pretty angry. Like what what it was worded in a way that every Christian should not have a problem with, you know. Like it wasn't like borderline could be taken like in an affirming direction, or it was just like that queer people would find God. Like I don't. I mean, I don't. I, yeah. yeah, it just drives me crazy. It, it I don't get it. But so I'm glad, man. I'm so glad God redeemed that moment. Um, e- even though I can only imagine how hurtful. That might have been. And I, I guess, yeah, you know, I've I've, I've seen some stuff online where, where there has been criticism by acknowledging that that queer students and people are part of this revival. Has that been what's that been like? Like I I mean I, there's a couple of things. I mean, and and, and Twitter's accessible, right? I mean, so it's yeah. <laughs> if you want to feel yeah, bad about the world and yourself, just go on Twitter for like five seconds. But I mean, but I, I really imagine you know, LGBTQ people in the church already have such a i mean the fact that you all are even at a church is is like shocking you know like you have every reason to be like okay i'm done with this you know like there's there's enough pain there but um but to have that kind of just, just more just chirpy comments or whatever it's like that that's got to get tiring has to be yeah would, i don't know would love to hear how, how you've kind of responded to some of that and and um how how is the revival maybe giving you renewed strength, hopefully, towards some of those attacks or yeah. I mean, you've probably encountered like the the discernment ministry people who like spend their entire time trying to like call out wolves or bad church things or whatever. Um, those people have come on full force when it comes to Asbury. And I mean, one of my professors was just telling me, he's like, you know, some of these people are always going to see this as like satanic or demonic because we're letting women preach upstage or something like that. Like there's, this is never going to be good for some people. They're always going to try to like deconstruct it into pieces, um, which is true. But I had been like sharing like my personal experiences with the revival online. And at one point I was like, so moved. I was in Hughes chapel with a friend. I took a picture of some friends who were leading worship and actually Yeah. Anyway. And so I had like posted like, Hey, like it's day eight and my friends at the seminary are still leading worship. You know, so many celebrities or big name people or big church people could have been leading worship, but my friends are. And then I wrote, did you know, like women, people of color and queer people have been leading worship these last, you know, couple weeks, which, or this last week or whatever, which is true. I mean, even in that, well, never mind. I'm, 
yeah, I don't want to give anyone ammunition. But in these moments, like I have like friends who like are like gay or like, you know, like women or like just like from even different countries who've been able to lead worship. Um, and the university and the seminary has like been able to support them and like their ability to like their in their worthiness to like lead people in worship and be in relationship with God. Uh, but people grabbed onto that. There were some like big name people with like tens of thousand followers that like took screenshots and then they started scrolling into my personal Facebook page and they found my testimony on YouTube and they clipped that. And so I've just had like this inundation of like, even this morning I was just told about like a heresy watch YouTube account that like posted a video of me and all these people are like, the fact that this guy is at seminary, the fact that they let him be there um, is a demonstration that this isn't a real revival. And it even got to the point where like anytime the president of my seminary would post or the universe or the seminary would post anything, people would respond to it with like screenshots or links to me. And they'd be like, is this your student? Is this your student right here? Do you like, are you going to get him in trouble? Like, is this your boy? Come get your guy. And so like that has just been exhausting horrifying and overwhelming. Um, but when the entire national attention is on a singular place, you will get all of these different people and bad actors. And uh, But it's been tough, you know? It, it, it's difficult. I will say that what has been and has been my encouragement since the beginning is that I have this community of people here that like will like <laughs> name me, will claim me, will stand with me. You know, I was like, I had like a full on, like a couple days ago, um, mental breakdown where I just like was so heavy and so overwhelming. And I had one of my seminary friends, she like quickly pulled up in her car, picked me up and we left and got sushi off campus. And it was just this moment of like, Hey, like it's all a bit much, but like, um, I want to check in on you. I love you. And so that has been I've been so thankful for it, but it is tough. Like there's this thing to be said about a new revival moment, which was gained steam through social media, which maybe hasn't happened in the past. You know, um, Asbury 1970 did not get aided by Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. The TikTok topic of the Asbury revival has like 60 million views. Um which has been like, that is just an insane, and, and misinformation is rife. Like there have been multiple prophets who are like, there. there's one of the viral, maybe even some of your listeners have seen this. There's a viral TikTok that's like, there was a demonic possession and exorcism TikTok. Um, and what's crazy is I was there that day and this woman had a seizure while she was being prayed over. And people clipped like a third party, like live stream of it. And were like, someone was exercised. This woman is exercised, but it, she was just having a seizure. They pulled up an ambulance. She ended up being okay, whatever. But as a result, like people who are not here have so many opinions and perspectives and thoughts about this. Um, and it's just like zoomed through the entire United States and all corners and facets. And uh, I don't think some of us were ready to encounter that. I don't, I, you know, I've been online pretty incredibly online for a few years, but I haven't experienced the personalized harassment and vitriol like this ever before. Um, and my social media fast for Lint could not come soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been up until recently been really disciplined with social media stuff. I mean, I'm on Facebook maybe like four times a year. Like I'll post stuff, but I'm not on it. And Twitter's been thing for a few years. I just was like, you know what? It's it's pretty much 
a proven fact that you're less happy the more time you spend on social media. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know anybody who would throw it. So it's like, why do we do it? Well, you know, there's this addictive stuff. But I feel like in the last few months, I've been a lot more actively kind of reading and stuff. And and it's just such a cesspool, dude. It's so, it just draws out the worst of humanity, you know? Like, I've even, I've even had, like, people that would, like, pretty aggressively, I don't want to say harass, maybe harass would be the right term. Just, you know, just say really, really hard, negative attacking things. But then on a few occasions, I've actually met them in person. Be kind of like, oh, my gosh, are they going to, like, take a swing at me or something? And it was like a wonderful conversation. It was like, you know, like, (laughs) just something about being in face-to-face with somebody that you just, all that junk that comes out of the humanity on on social media, just, it's, I've, I've tried to learn to not take it too seriously and, and I have built up kind of a resilience, I guess, over the years. And I, you know, my mute button is on rapid fire. I mean, I just, if I see anything that just doesn't make me feel the least big, I just mute them right away. Like, I don't, I don't need that, you know, I, I get more like, I don't know, I've never thought about this, but like when I see other people being harassed, it almost makes me more angry than when me personally, because I, yeah, I just, I mean, especially, I, yeah, especially LGBTQ Christians, like to me, that's just this, the, the, just the profound ignorant theologically bankrupt statements that people make are just it's just astounding it's astounding and yeah seeing some stuff said said about you is just like oh my gosh it just it just drives me absolutely bananas but um yeah i'm 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 sorry for that and i'm i'm i i don't i guess i i've been in enough church spaces where there's a lot of maybe it's still in the minority but there's a lot of really 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 neat theologically conservative straight you know um christian people and leaders and stuff that are just have huge huge hearts for lgbtq people want and want to change the culture of the church like it's and that's confirmation bias those these are churches that have me in and they wouldn't have me in if they didn't already have that heart but i'm just i'm i'm constantly encouraged by where the church i think is headed i think again it might be a minority but it's it's a it's a pretty silent growing minority i think in, in the church do you experience that i mean i i um i mean are you i i guess my, i was gonna ask it was kind of roundabout way of asking like are you you said you're out on campus people know your story like are you really widely i mean accepted is it just you're just elijah i mean or or is it do you, do you feel still like there's always this kind of slow hum of uneasiness you're not sure who's safe to talk to or yeah i mean so i came out my senior year of undergrad um i shared my like testimony publicly to a like chapel service um then posted about it and then asbury seminary was like the first place that i like entered already being publicly out and i had this like question with myself like will i go back in the closet i was just i can't i can't suffocate myself again i can't like live under the weight of the mask you have to wear it's just so exhausting um not knowing whether people would want to be your friends if they like knew your whole story um so i like just like definitely um was very open from the beginning of coming here and there are two like religious cultural elements to like this space that maybe are different than other spaces number one is that the wesleyan holiness evangelical or like more conservative church space is not ex-gay they're like very much not like 
you know, uh, platforming X game ministry. Um, a lot of like this idea that like, Hey, identifying as gay is identifying with sin or like desire is sin itself. It's like a very reformed idea and just isn't present here. So the idea that like, Hey, I experienced same sex attraction and the word for that is gay is not, people might be ignorant to that, but the second they find out in these like spaces, they're like, oh, that makes sense. And there's not really like, uh, there's not an argument about sexual identity language here. Um, it just, just doesn't come up uh, in the same way. I think what, th so that might be like the positive thing is if you're like in a Wesleyan, Nazarene, Free Methodist, United Methodist like space, like you're not going to be maybe encountering the same kind of like ex-gay work. And I'm not saying it isn't totally there because it definitely exists in different corners, but probably like largely it doesn't. But what you will encounter, unfortunately, is a lot of ignorance. And right now, the United Methodist Church, which is this seminary I'm at right now, like turns out the most United Methodist ordinands every year, like 40% of United Methodist ordinates come from this school. So like it's massively connected with the United Methodist Church. And the United Methodist Church is splitting over um, beliefs around like same-sex marriage. It's way more complicated than that, but like that's the simple way of putting it. And as a result, the conversation about like sexuality and gay people is like on everyone's lips all the time. And there's a certain, because this is a conservative school, and so it draws from like a lot of like the Southern, more conservative um, United Methodist like churches it's unfortunate that like a lot of people kind of view gay people as like this outsider enemy these people who are kind of like trying to crumble their church split it up and so when I first got here I did not know about that cultural background and I encountered a lot of very hurtful activity from people. and there's also we also get a lot of feed from like the more conservative like Pentecostal charismatic like schools come to seminary here because Pentecostalism comes from like Wesleyan tradition. And so like there's like at least like some crossover there. Um, and those people definitely like still like ex-gay theology. So there's this like and they like usually spiritualize it. Um, so there's definitely this like strain of like people who probably even though the school isn't that way are themselves more like kind of ex-gay theology leaning type people. And then there's this strain of people who are like from a very culturally conservative southern space and they like kind of just learn to really have prejudice against gay people as a result of that like background and that my first two years here was very difficult I had a lot of difficult conversations with people I was unfortunately a lot of people's character development <laughs> and I uh um yeah felt very lonely and kind of like excised uh sometimes however more recently i feel like i've kind of come into my own i've built up like a solid relationship and community with people and i think that while i'm not saying it i mean even some professors have said some offensive things in the past but it's nothing like i have a friend who's gay who goes to southern baptist theological seminary and you know a student will say something homophobic in class the professor will laugh agree with them and the class will keep going that isn't going to happen at asbury theological seminary like if someone says something awful like that like a professor way more often than not is going to call them out on it and the other students are going to be like 
I don't think that's appropriate. So while I can't say I've had the best time here, I do know that I'm grateful um, for like some of the professors and community and even like the gene of the Dean of Chapel here, Jessica Legrone has been like a massive supporter of me and that's been very kind. So, uh, it's complicated, you know, there's both sides, but in general, I, even, again, even though it's a hard time, I would say that we're probably further along than a lot of the evangelical world and like caring for sexual minorities. Yeah. I mean, I, all the free Methodists I've talked to and I've, I've personally, I really great conversations with most if not all your bishops a lot of pastors spoken at a lot of churches and and yeah the spirit just seems so really committed really biblically centered committed to sound theology or whatever you want to say you know and as with the reformed background that that took me some getting used to because we always looked at like wesleyans is like oh they're you know whatever but um but then yeah in this conversation like i i've had a really good experience you know it's it's been a limited number of people, but some pretty high up people that man, when they're talking about the needs and how, how to kind of change the culture of the church and, and their heart for the conversation, like I'm like I'm I've always been really impressed with the Free Methodist Church in, in this. Yeah, I mean, the Free Methodist Church is doing really well and probably much better than even like Asbury Seminary is doing. Asbury Seminary calling you know is drawing from the conservative United Methodist wing, whereas the Free Methodist Church is like just is not having the same kind of like bloodbath conversation. So there's a way more open-handedness to like figuring out how to better love and understand people because we don't have this like impending church split doom hanging above us. I didn't think about that. So the those who are part of the conservative wing of the UMC have a distinct cultural context where they may be a little bit of a pendulum swing too far, maybe given some of their fears and concerns. Yeah. Okay. If you're from the if you're from the reform background, you might have heard, oh, United Methodist liberal, but the United Methodist Church is a massive umbrella from the furthest left you've seen in your life to the most fundamentalist right wing Christian nationalist people you've met in your entire life. So it's very, very difficult to like put a finger and be like, this is what a United Methodist is because it's a huge umbrella. And as a result has like a very like mixed bag, of like people who are like under this banner um, and is, you know, ultimately probably why like this kind of fabric of the church is splitting of that denomination. Well, Elijah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And it was a little kind of last minute, um, just reached out to you a couple of days ago. And uh, yeah, thanks for sharing your your heart and super excited what God's doing over there. And I really do hope it continues to spill spill over in a different context, especially among younger people. It's just really cool to see, you know, Gen, Gen Zers um, just have this kind of renewal as part of their story. So um, yeah, thanks for giving us a, a firsthand insight of what's been going on. Yeah. I mean, I just want to return to the fact that it's been beautiful. I have personally seen people's lives changed. I've seen people healed of church hurt and have like repented of ways that they have not loved their neighbors. And there's so much beauty that's happened in the sacred space that even in all of maybe like the most recent like pain of whatever that I've experienced, I can still look at these last couple of weeks and say like, hey, God did a work here. And I think he's continuing to do a work. So thanks for chatting me about it with me about it. But it has been a beautiful, exhausting, complicated, huge, all of the things. <laughs> Great. As, as any revival probably should be. So yeah.
This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.